27th podcast <laughs> birthday party has been going that was full it. swing for some time now. You join us here in the midst of it. Um, imagine sound effects of clinking champagne Stuff glasses like, and, th- and that sound effect there. <laughs> what, me farting? <laughs> Feeling very uptight today. <laughs> Lift off the chair if it's no, some no. sort of pressure. No, that, that was the sound of one of those things that you blow... Party blower. Yeah, which is that what they're actually called? I have no idea. I think they're nameless. (laughs) They've never been. I like it when you blow them so hard that they sort of go. (laughs) Yes, (laughs) that's the most entertaining thing to do. That is a treat. (laughs) Or you blow them so hard they just shoot out your mouth and and land in someone's drink, (laughs) or in somebody's face. Or you use it and you blow it and you curl it around something and attempt to drag it back towards you, like as if it were a serpent's tongue. (laughs) Very much so. Anyway, this is the bonus episode for King's Ransom, and we will take our usual pr- approach of looking at the book covers for this. And now we uh, feel we might have to disqualify Morgan from yeah. this because the edition he's got Recycle is one that's one. been featured before. So go on, Morgan, give us a quick overview. Uh, it's the the um, the old omnibus edition, uh, which first appeared on our episode featuring uh, the Pusher. Mm, early days. And uh, it will be fro- cropping up again in some month's <laughs> what's time. Almost the third one? Ooh, quite late. Uh, yeah, quite late on. Um, but, yeah, it's just, just a, a sort of um, big omnibus edition, um, which doesn't look very good, to be honest. It's, I think uh, the saddest thing about that is just that it just does not fit on your bookshelf in a logical order. It doesn't. It the really... collector in me shudders to yeah. think... I'd love to be cataloging things in order, and this really messes it up. I just just rip it in pieces. Just when I saw it in whatever charity shop it was for forty nine p or whatever it may have been, I was just like, "I'll give you that." I need this, so I got it, and and now it's just an annoyance, really. Apart from the fact that it contains three really good books, um, it's horribly kind of like cobbled together cover irritates me, and it's. Totally irrational selection of three books to stick together really annoys me. So let's say no maybe, more about it. <laughs> maybe by the time we get to the third book that's in your collection, a theme will suddenly emerge in your mind and it'll make total sense. I possibly. You'll suddenly have a, a revelation, you know, a, a miming, having my mind blown. Yeah, there. maybe. Your head will explode. Well, on the other hand, when I bought this and read all three through in sequence just because they're all in the same book... No theme emerged, so I'm not <laughs> expecting one to. But you never know. They all include car phones. Or... They, they all include um, the cops of the 87th Precinct. Oh, oh, there you go. <laughs> Some of whom change between books. <laughs> Fair enough. It does have a phone on the front of your edition, doesn't it? it does. That's a phone on mine. And it's, so it's but the, the telephone. Well, if we jump over to Stevo's, because it's the same publisher, but it's it a is, single it's, edition, isn't it? It's the King's Ransom, the Orion UK. Edition, yeah. But given so the a... key feature of the story is a car phone, the picture on the front is of a Bakelite telephone receiver, which is very much a static thing. I think I imagine a car. I don't. Well, I don't know. No, I bet you they like that. Well, because when you see them in like the seventies and eighties, they're still like 
an actual phone I you'd suppose. have in the house, weren't they? Oh, and the ministers in the back of a uh, stretched limo. I suppose so. There, there get... is a certain amount of um, business with regular phones as well in, in the novel, isn't there? I suppose. $100 and bill trunk lines and, and what have you, so. drops of blood. And there's no blood and there's no money in this. Um, yeah, there isn't. Lots so, of references to money, but definitely no blood. Perhaps doesn't really smell very much either. Well, it's a fairly feature. new edition, isn't it? It is, yes. It's a fairly odourless. <laughs> Whereas my edition is a 30-year-old Penguin edition, so another UK edition. Nice shiny front cover, as they did That's at the time. That's what want. And a very literal selection of items mm. from the story. Now, if you've been on the Twitter feed or the Facebook page, I got really nerdy and did some mm. research into this over the past week or so, uh, which, if you're hearing this, is probably the past fortnight slash three weeks ago, <laughs> including looking into the actual brand of the tunable amplifier that's portrayed in the photograph of the two tunable amplifiers that are there couldn't find out the brand of the oscillator because the detail isn't clear enough to it's disappointing you know. Paul, honestly but my edition's got that it's got a map of new york on the front but the book's not set in new york no. it's set in isola surrounding boroughs indeed and it also features a Cheap, nasty shoe. Snap shoe. Oh, look there. Ooh, shoddy. Douglas the, Kings. N- uh, not worthy of Granger. No. Never. The heels come off, the soles being torn off. But, yeah, I did a bit of research into this, and th- the main bit of hardware on the on the cover mm. of this is made by a company that still exists now, Rhoda and Schwartz, and they did mm. like the tweet where I mentioned their name. Oh, <laughs> bless them. Wow. I suspect it's an automated bot, but it's quite funny to think that... I'd like to imagine it's either Rhoda or Schwartz yeah. going, oh, someone remembers us. Yeah, when we lent that, that model out for the sh- photo shoot for the cover of an Ed McBain in 1987. <laughs> Look at that cheap shoe. What a cheap shoe. You can see why Mr King's... Yeah, you'd be losing you'd his be rag upset. there, to be honest. <laughs> do you want to do a sniff test on that on my copy there, Steve? Yeah, uh, the smell belies its age, I would say. <laughs> not musty, but not. Uh, well, it's not thirty too years musty. old now. I mean, 1987 still feels like yesterday to me, but it's. <sighs> me too. That's just because I'm an old man. Hmm. Excellent. No, it's yeah, nice. It's it, nice cover that one. Yeah, it's the. The dedication to in your edition, by the way, because obviously ours has been uh, amended. You've got the group um, dedication, haven't you, in your one? I actually have a different... Oh, uh, no, you've got... a dedication in each book, but it's all It's always to uh, Drajika. Yes. Isn't it? Whereas in my book, it's... This is for Richard Charlton. And I tell you what, I've let myself down here. I've not researched and tried to find out whether I could tell who Richard Charlton is. But you know what? Richard Charlton. I will make an effort to find out and we will try and let uh, the good listening public know we may not be able to find that information. Sometimes it crops up, sometimes it doesn't. Indeed. Steve has got his phone out now. Well, I'm, I'm going to have a look. He's going to see if he can find But while he's doing that, we'll start talking about the main thing for this bonus episode, which is we watched the TV adaptation of this. Indeed we did. Which was in the 87th Precinct TV series. And it was one of the the few stories that was based on... Oh, dear. Oh, dear. I wonder if it was dedicated to this individual. That's J. Richard Charlton. The billionaire's way. The genius of patience. He looks like a J. Richard parody Charlton. Donald Trump. He's got his finger glued. Donald Trump looks like a parody Donald wow, Trump. Absolutely. 
Yeah, maybe he's a man who, who made his fortune by being really patient uh, in waiting for his power grab at a shoe company. Well, yeah. <laughs> and, uh, that's, maybe uh, that was yeah, the inspiration. Yeah. So yes, as here he was. Thank you for inspiring <laughs> me with your, your business acumen. Yeah, it says it says here that he, um, yeah, he, uh, yeah, Branger shoes. <laughs> Branger shoes. No, I don't. I don't think we're gonna be able to. It's not one we're gonna crack immediately, is it? I don't no. think. Well, I'll see what I can find out. It's Graf Conklin, the fact-checking ghost. I'm back again with some information for you about Richard Charlton. Charlton was a producer and he founded the Sombrero Playhouse, which is a nice name for a playhouse if you like big hats and things. This place featured performances from Groucho Marx, Tallulah Bankhead, Ginger Rogers and other people. Charlton asked Ed McBain, Evan Hunter, to write him a play in 1954 and Evan Hunter produced King's Ransom, a play in three acts. But it was never performed. So there you go, that's who the book was dedicated to, Richard Charlton of the Sombrero Playhouse. Okay, I'm going to go now and see if I can figure out what this accent is all about. Goodbye. Actually, before we get stuck into the, the TV adaptation, I'll, I'll use a question that was submitted to us mm-hmm. by a, a listener, a, a fairly new listener to the podcast, but someone Marvelous. who's been quite involved with us online and really nice to have that communication. So this is from Stella Weaver. And the question is, I've intentionally stayed away from TV or film adaptations of any 87th books. There's not that many. But the question is, really, in your opinion, are there any that you've seen worth watching or do they veer too far from the stories or characters? And I think we've sort of looked at it a little Hmm. bit in in passing when we've talked about adaptations. The main ones we've watched are the 87th Precinct Hmm. TV series, of which, as I was about to say, we've watched the Ed McBain adaptation of his own novel, that was in the series tonight, and that was from 1961-2, probably 62 for this episode. Mm -hmm. The other main set of adaptations was two or three big TV movies in the 80s or 90s, I think, Mm. which when we get round to watching those, to doing those books, we'll watch those as well. And there's been a handful of adaptations Mm. outside of that, really. Fuzz. Fuzz, which I think is a whole... I don't know what that movie's going to be like. I'm no. really interested to see. You, what you, you, you bought me a DVD of one of them. Was that Ice? That was I think one, I watched that was ten, one of the TV adaptations. Ten minutes. It was so bad. I just had to turn it off. Well, but we, we will have to watch it. Oh, you we know, will. But it was yeah. That's going to be tough because that that's such a good book as well. But it might you know perhaps I didn't give it long enough. But it was. Um, it's easy to persevere. Spoiling when my us... former enjoyment of the book. <laughs> it's like... So, I mean, there's partly an answer is that Steve O's had a look at some of the 80s ones, and or at least one of the 80s ones, and found it very difficult to get into. But the ones in this 60s series are, are really good. The yeah. cast's smaller, but, you know... Hmm. It's it's very enjoyable in its own right. I mean, even if it doesn't really capture exactly what you you get from from the books, it's it's still well worth a watch. Um, the the biggest difference cast wise is Roger Haviland's yes. still alive, and his character's completely different. Yeah, and there's only yeah there's only Kling Mayer and. Corella. There's only four characters really. You, yeah. never, you never come across anyone else. Well, do Cotton you? Halls crops up in oh. one episode, but only as a passing right. character to bring in, just because they needed in the episode "New Man on the Precinct." 
just because they needed to tell the story with an external force mm-hmm. rather than one of the established crew. But yeah, generally speaking, there isn't any other characters in. No, in so that's it. probably. But that's the nature of TV production yeah. at the time. You you need a, a certain amount of fixed sets, a fixed cast, because otherwise costs spiral mm. instantly. But then you occasionally get something like the adaptation of King's Ransom, which is, as we watch today, mm. really really good. And I think yeah. it's nice to know that it's it's McVeigh's voice playing it out on the screen. Although clearly he's been told to change a few elements. Yes. You, and it's weird to watch it having read the book. Yeah, you did. Also, you didn't get the ridiculous name changing, obviously. With um, yeah, that's yeah, that's the thing we've talked about before. How they changed the names of that characters was, for almost no reason. Div- yeah, the, well, that wasn't the case in this adaptation. No, yeah. but yeah, major change in uh, particularly the age of the uh, the uh, kidnappy. So in the book, the. the the kidnapped child, or the intended kidnapped child, and the actual kidnapped child—they're they're young kids. You know, they're out playing cowboys mm. and Indians in the in the grounds of the house. In the, in the TV adaptation, they walk in with the the kidnapped child, and he's about <laughs> seven foot tall. Yeah, yeah, he ca- very much like he could have overpowered uh, both of his captors with ease, but yeah, even whilst blindfolded <laughs> and gagged. And I think that did kind of lessen the. The jeopardy. The, yeah, because obviously, you know, you don't not care what what happens to him. But like in the book, it's a bit, you know, it's quite um, sinister, isn't it? That it's a mm, kid totally and he's yeah. like, you Definitely. know, it also helped in how they didn't realise they'd got the wrong. Because it's it's when you're a younger child, finds it harder to make themselves understood, oh, make themselves make it yeah. clear. They they don't have the necessarily the capacity to. Put a reasonable case forward, mm. you get upset more easily. Yeah. I think also having the, the younger child in the book really helps with the bond that develops between him and and Kathy. Yeah, which yeah. obviously, I mean, they didn't really have time to develop that in the, in the TV show anyway. Um, but um, yeah, that that makes her motives so, yeah, a lot better. And in, in terms of character development, that really helped. In the TV series, that the. the Kids are three times older than they are in the yes. book, basically. Mm. They're, they're young men rather yeah. than rather than kids, which which does change it. And we it did seem a bit like it must have been done for what I don't know. I'll describe it. What for decency's sake? I don't yeah, know. Perhaps they, perhaps the idea of kidnapped children at risk from being killed was, was well, not the, t- right the for time, time slot. The or? time when it would have been aired. Yeah, yeah, chil- yeah you one. Maybe assumes it's sort of something to do more with network sensibilities or at a production level rather than uh, Ed McBain himself. Yeah, but, I'm uh, sure he would have liked to have gone the whole hog. Yeah, absolutely. And made it really gritty. But um, I mean, it still makes for for good TV. Um, it doesn't. He packs a lot of the uh, the elements of the story uh, in. It's, it's got a a very solid cast. A couple of good. Names that you would know in there, such as Nancy Reagan <laughs> as the wife of Douglas King, Diane King, and John Astin, otherwise known as Gomez from the Adams family, as the. Uh, He's only in it for like two minutes, isn't he? Well, that's the funny thing because clearly McBain thought that that telephone engineer character was important. Yeah, like worth cramming him in, and rather than some of the other characters who actually do a lot more in the in the novel. Yeah. And he picked someone who managed to pull it off very 
sort of charmingly because yeah. John Aston was always very fun to watch on screen in the Adams family, and he's similarly here, even though he's got what two minutes of screen time or whatever, mm. a few lines, and a doppelganger of Javier Bardem as well as Sai. <laughs> yeah, some yeah, Sai, uh, who's a bit more of a hep- jazz cast. <laughs> well, yeah, he gets, he's jazz crazy. <laughs> he gets his trumpet out, doesn't he? Yeah, there's no there's no chapter in the book where they talk about he'd brought with him to the farmhouse not only his trumpet but also his mute. Yeah, he brought just, some... just whips out his muted horn and starts playing a few licks. He's got some records with him, but not a record player. He just wanted to look weird. at them. Yeah, he's that's how jazz mad he is. He can see the grooves. Yeah, where the where the the drop happens and the yeah. Yeah, they made him a bit more happy go lucky in this than the sinister beast he is. Indeed, uh, and also I felt like Eddie and Kathy seemed a bit less young and idealistic than they do in the novel as well. well yeah. so was... That's one of my problems with that adaptation was, at the end of the novel, oh, we're going to have to spoil a little bit here, the couple of kidnappers, the man and the woman who are man and wife, out of the three kidnappers, get away, basically. In the TV adaptation, they're shown as being a lot less sort of happy together mm. their underlying happy marriage isn't really there mm. their love doesn't really come through oh, yeah and also they get captured mm. albeit off screen and it, again that seems a bit like networks interfering yeah. wrap it we, up. we want Don't to we want themselves. a resolution yeah. and also yeah that's the way that the morality of the whole story is kind of subtly tweaked around at the end there in that version in the king uh, as a character is is sort of, I mean, he becomes a little more sympathetic in the novel, but I think he becomes a lot more sympathetic in, in the, the TV adaptation. Yeah, and it seems a bit like, yeah, you know, let's, let's not make the, the, the rich businessman look too bad. He's, he's, he's all right, really, isn't he? Yeah, yeah he's okay. And then the, the, those criminals, they'll get their comeuppance. Yeah, yeah. Because in, in the book, you, you don't uh, ever discover the resolution of the business deal, do you? It's just no. totally silent, whereas in the adaptation, you're told that that all went swimmingly. And... Yeah, it kind of seems like, actually, no, it's it's fine. Like Aggressive capitalism is actually still good, so that's fine. Don't worry, <laughs> go back to that. And uh, crime doesn't pay. And even if you love each other and you're poor, if, you know, that, that doesn't matter, just... So he was yeah. right not to pay it because he wouldn't have been he, able he was, to... He was right not to. He was right to just work hard, um, stab everyone else who tried to climb above him on the ladder in the back and then, you know, get all the money and stick with it. Well, that's I'm glad we that's had no lasting impact on the way the world works. <laughs> no, no, none. <laughs> Actually, one of the things in the book, Douglas King gets a bit of an action sequence at the end because when they catch the uh, Cy Barnard, the, the main kidnapper, he beats him in the book he just basically mm. grabs hold of him starts punching him mm. whereas in the TV adaptation <laughs> he sneaks up behind him and just twats him on the back of the head once and he just falls over and Corella then tries to recru- recruit him to the police <laughs> like oh you hit that man on the back of the head really well would you want a badge yeah I'd rather he just like called him a turd yeah a big turd even yeah by that point but that said, joking aside, it's quite a good adaptation. Oh, yeah. it, it's it's a very entertaining uh, uh, piece of TV, isn't it? Definitely. But on the subject very of engaging. adaptation, still dealing with Stella's question, to, to some extent, what we've not seen is, we've not seen High and Low yet, which mm. is the Kurosawa film based on it, which is very well thought of, and we will do as a separate podcast 
But also it's adapted in 1978 as a film called Inkar, which is an Indian film. Mm. Ooh. And it, it is more or less what you would call Bollywood, I believe. It does in, involve songs and dancing. Yes. But it was in also, the squad room. Well, quite possibly, who knows? But it was also <laughs> adapted in the same year as Dongala Veta. I'm probably pronouncing that terrible, which is another Indian film, but it's in the Telugu language. Ooh. And that's what's called Tollywood. Mm-hmm. You know, there's, Amazing. there's tens of millions of speakers of, of Telugu, and it's funny to think that the a film industry would have a sub-film industry. Is that song and dance as well? Yeah, I believe so. I think it's a direct, oh, wow. it's a direct adaptation of Inkar, which is an adaptation of High and Low, which is an adaptation of this book. Oh. I, can we do a, a UK adaptation of the, the, the Tollywood adaptation of the Bollywood adaptation of... Can we? Probably. Why not? By that point. Right, it's a done deal. The rights are probably so free by that point. (laughs) We should do a novelisation of it, so you'd have a... A novelisation of a British version of the Tollywood version of the Bollywood version of the Japanese version of the American book. Yep. That's right. See how closely it resembles But apparently also in 2007 there was a handful of 87th Precinct stories adapted in Japan as well. Wow. And I can find information about the names of them, but I can't find any clips or anything or any more information about Mm. it. Because the moment you go off the Western language hmm. on the internet, it becomes impossible, if you don't understand it, to find yeah. any details, particularly when you get into languages that distinct and, and separate. I've discovered this occasionally trying to research um, uh, Japanese uh, obscure model trains <laughs> in, in my particular line of work. But if you ever come across Tengoku to Jigoku, it's uh, a Japanese, I think it's a TV adaptation from 2007. So it's been well well adapted. I think it's the most adapted McBain eighty seventh precinct book. Certainly sounds like it. I'd love to see. I'd love to see all of them. Really, mm-hmm. I think the Indian ones are online, but not with subtitles. Unfortunately, I'm sure we can piece it together. Well, they might do a dance routine as they're trying to find the paint with the uh, lab technician. They like, may well do. Amazing. They may well do. Steering clear of adaptations. Do you do it? I mean, it's very hard once you've got a character in your head. But my problem with characters in my head is, is that... <laughs> that sounds like you're going totally crazy. <laughs> yeah. The trouble I've got with characters in my head. head. What do they tell you, these characters? What yeah. trouble do they give you? They say, my name is Adrian <laughs> Well, he cropped up in the adaptation. Adrian so was... Again, wasn't... yeah, like McBain choosing to include like the, the little joke red herring characters rather than... The people who actually play a fairly major part in the plot. Yeah, there's no... Because in the book, uh, Lieutenant Burns turns up to oversee the whole thing. Mm. But he's not in the adaptation at all. Yeah, there's but no... Adrian Skoll, is it? <laughs> That's not how he talks in the TV adaptation. No. Except Controversially. In my, except in my mind now. That's a voice in my mind. The character in your head. So, yeah, I mean, the, the adaptations are never going to be the same as how you imagine the, the, the novels. But sometimes it can just be a... An interesting different slant on some, on things, can't it? Totally. And what I was going to say is, even though you can get totally absorbed in these books, I never have a really definite picture in my head of how these people look. Sometimes you get very descriptive stuff in the McBains of he's so tall, he's got this colour hair or whatever. But I'm never quite imagining it in such hmm. sort of definite photographic terms. Hmm. So I'm always fairly open to see what the hmm. on-screen adaptation of this thing hmm. is. And obviously TV and film uses that to their advantage, like the Poirot things. 
or even like Dracula is a famous example because the mm. way Dracula is described in the book is rarely shown yeah. in the adaptations mm. on screen. And now we think of Dracula as being yeah. Christopher Lee, yeah, rather Pretty than much. how he's yeah. played in the books. I don't think that's a bad thing, and and it gives both things space to breathe. But I know some people are very good at visualising, and if they see something different, yeah, it freaks them out. Yeah, that's a good point. Well, what about you, Steve? What do you did you get? Images in the mind. I, I just get more of a bit. Sense. Yeah, there's, there's certain characters I kind of have an idea of what they look like more than others. Like Burns and Mayor Mayor, I have a. Mm. You know, I could if you asked me to draw what I thought they looked like, I probably could. But like some of the others, less. Uh, yeah. You just more you're more of a feeling of them than a definite picture. I would say. Yeah. Sherlock Holmes. There's another one. I mean, it's the description of him. Is well, almost suppose, secondary to the. I suppose with him, you've 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 seen him before, you've book. read it, haven't you? Same with Dracula, you know. So mm. you're uh, uh, it almost. Aren't well, it, and yeah. in crime fiction world, uh, the TV series of Inspector Morse, you know, you know I've never read any of those, but be, I, I suspect unless you were reading them at the time they were published, there's ninety nine percent of people have probably seen John Thor's representation of him before they've ever read the book. Absolutely, and in fact, Colin Dexter starts to fit. Well, he did, yeah, he did. To, to, to absolutely, meet the yeah. Popular he, TV he, he, he adapted the books, didn't he, with John Thor in mind? Okay, well, I've got another comment mm-hmm. from the internet, and that was from one of our Twitter followers called at SFF Audio, who posts a lot of interesting stuff about audiobooks and uh, sort of pulpy imagery and short stories and things like that. And he was asked us if we've read the McBain short story, The Last Spin. And I certainly haven't. Ooh, I can't remember. I've read some short story collections years ago, but I forget which stories are in them. Not sure. I don't think I have, but I may have it. I think I've got a a collection of the short stories. I'll have a check, and I will certainly let you know next episode. Yes, well, I, what I thought we could do is we can try and read that. If not in your books, it's certainly online. Cool. As there's quite a lot of uh, Ed McBain short stories online, it appears that one or two of them are used all the time in what appears to be like media studies classes all because right. they're so or written in such a bold, visual way mm. that I think they get given to media studies students who then have to go off and make film versions of them. Oh, wow. But uh, I don't know if, if The Last Spin's one of those, but I'll certainly we'll certainly read it and, and talk about it at some point because I think it'll probably be quite a snappy and exciting little thing to experience. Yeah. Mm, okay. Super stuff. <laughs> Wonderful. Tremendous. Okie doke. <laughs> we're just saying random words. <laughs> yeah. Well, no, they were all linked platitudes. <laughs> um. If you want to say a random boss. word. Boss. Boss. <laughs> when do people say boss? They say in Liverpool all the time. Oh, yeah, I've lived here long enough fans. to know that. Mega. 20, in fact, 20 years. In boss. Fair city. Boss. Oh, let's boss that. <laughs> I think we'll say goodbye. Why don't you say goodbye, Steve? Bye-bye. <laughs> Morgan. Bye. See you again. Bye-bye. Bye.